Thank you for checking out this episode of Wiregrass Daily News Sports. You can find the podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you just leave four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can follow me on social media over at pjordansec. You can email me at sportstalkfieldjordan at gmail.com. Welcome to Wiregrass Daily News Sports. This is your daily look at sports in the Wiregrass and the Southeast. Dothan Wolves on 96.9, the legend producer Philip Jordan breaks the news, covers the games, and talks to experts in the Wiregrass and Southeast. And now, Philip Jordan. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Wiregrass Daily News Sports. This is the Tuesday edition of the show. I am your host, Phil Jordan, in-studio host and producer for Dutton Woods Football on I-6.9, The Legend. We've got a fun show playing for you guys today, a double guest episode. We'll be talking all things Auburn football with Taylor Jones of the Auburn Wire. We'll look back at Auburn's 28-21 loss to Ole Miss, what it means, why it happened, the issues with the offense will break up, break down all of that. And then also, we'll look ahead to the season. Why does Auburn still have a really good shot at getting a bowl game? We'll talk about that here on the show. Then we'll jump into basketball. Blake Lovell from the Southeastern 14 will join me. We'll look back at SEC basketball media days, and we'll preview Alabama and Auburn here on the show. But – before I do all that, I want to give my thoughts on a couple of games that happened on Saturday. First, Tennessee and Alabama. Alabama coming out with the victory 34-20 to go to 7-1 on the year, headed into the bye week, and then Tennessee falling to 5-2. Tennessee had a 20-7 lead at halftime in this one, and really they should have been up by more than that. 13-0 early, two times inside the five. They could not put points up uh, via way of touchdowns so alabama stays in the game like i said it's 13 to 0 you really felt like when tennessee was kicking the field goals okay they're blowing an opportunity here you really have to put your foot on the gas you got to go for it on those fourth downs you're in tuscaloosa you're playing alabama you got to do it but they didn't 13 to nothing i thought joe milton played well really early in the game i think tennessee was able to run the ball pretty well but like i said 20 to 7 at halftime then to start the second half Alabama came out, Jace McClellan, 29-yard run, and then you had the big 46-yard touchdown pass from Milrow to Isaiah Bond. Alabama gets within 20-14, to 14, and I think that's when the game changed 100%. I think that galvanized the Alabama defense. They smothered Joe Milton in the Tennessee offense for the rest of the game. Turnovers and just mistakes by Tennessee caused Alabama to win this game. Milrow had a good game in this one, 28-41 for 271 and two touchdowns. And then you had a good running game by McClellan with 115 yards and one touchdown. Alabama struggled running the ball in the first half in this one, but when they got that run game going, it just opened up everything else on the pass game. And that's something Alabama really needs to work more on is the run game. And another thing, too, you're going into a game against LSU. Yes, LSU was coming in to Tuscaloosa in a few weeks, in a week and a half. But when that happens, you cannot kick, uh, expect them to kick field goals. You have got 
to get off to a fast start because you've got Jaden Daniels. You've got two NFL wide receivers, NFL tied in. And look, LSU's defense a little suspect, especially on the back end on the secondary. But up front, they still have some solid players. Harold Perkins is another one. So Alabama's going to have to start fasting as LSU. But tremendous job in the second half for Alabama in this one. Another look at Duke and Florida State. This one I was really interested in this one. One, because was Riley Leonard going to play? He did come out. He did play. But I really think the game turned when he came out in the second half. With about seven minutes left, he went out of the game. And then Florida State took over. Just the Duke offense just could not move the ball from that point. But another turning point in this game was Florida State getting Jordan Travis involved in the design run game. This is something we haven't really seen this year from Florida State. Jordan Travis overall in the game had 62 yards rushing and one touchdown, and he was dynamic through the air, hitting Johnny Wilson, hitting Keon Coleman. He had he was 27-36, 268, two touchdowns. He did throw to one interception. But like I said, when Riley Leonard went out, the offense was ineffective for Duke. Duke was running the ball really well in the first half. They had two times ahead leads of 10 points in this one, a 10-0 lead and a 17-7 lead in this one. They stopped Forest State twice on downs in Florida State's first two possessions. So they had a lot of momentum going into Tallahassee. Tough environment, but they were not able to pull it off. Like I said, a lot of it was Riley Leonard. I think Florida State still would have found a way to win at the end, but it made the score different because Duke just really couldn't do anything offensively uh, when Riley Leonard went out of the game. So that's just my thoughts on those two games. Now we're going to jump into uh, my two interviews. First up, Taylor Jones from the Auburn Wire and then Blake Lovell from the Southeastern 14. All right, everybody, joining me as promised. You cannot see Taylor if you're watching the video, but he is there. Uh, you see a silhouette of a person, and you see his name on the screen. But I am joined by Taylor Jones. He is the Auburn Wire Managing Editor over at USA Today. And uh, Taylor, appreciate you coming on and uh, talk about Auburn football. Hey, thank you, Philip, for having me on. And yes, this confirms that I am here. Uh, technology, as great as it is in 2023, also has its faults. So uh, you won't be able to see me for this episode, but I'm definitely here and I'm excited to talk Auburn sports with you this week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's technology. I mean, we had uh, issues this week with uh, with the coaches show. It wanted to freeze up and do stuff. The audio was good, but the video was kind of lagging a little bit. But you know how it is. Uh, we have to use the Internet to do all this stuff, but it's not always the most reliable uh, thing in the world. Yeah, absolutely not. But uh, you just got to take the good with the bad and just keep rolling. Yeah, so that kind of can, can, can jump us into Auburn football. I think wow. take the good with the bad and just keep rolling. Uh, a little bit more bad than good now that they've lost four games in a row after starting 3-0 and all in conference play. Just 28-21 loss coming out of the game against Ole Miss. There's opportunities there. It was tied 14 at halftime, but still Auburn is allergic to the forward pass, uh, apparently, until right there at the end of the game. But just, just your overall thoughts coming out of Saturday night when Auburn's lost to Ole Miss. Yeah, I've got to give props to them for making that game look a lot closer than it actually is. I believe uh, it was almost 200 yards difference. I think there were, you know, maybe 10 plays difference as well that uh, the Ole Miss had. And, of course, they won the time of possession battle as well. But Auburn found a way to make it 28-21. And, uh, we you know, we saw several good things on defense. I felt the defense kind of, you know, held the wall back as much as they could. 
shout out to Marcus Harris, shout out to uh, Jalen McLeod, and of course the uh, defensive backfield, Donovan Kaufman, uh, as well as uh, Zion Puckett getting some interceptions as well, keeping Auburn in it. Uh, offensively, you know, the quarterback battle is, you know, still what it is from week one. I feel like we have learned absolutely nothing. Uh, I feel like we're no closer to finding who quarterback one is and who is going to stay quarterback one. Um, Hugh Freeze mentioned something about it earlier this week in his press conference that, uh, you know, is Robbie Ashford an every down quarterback? We're not really sure yet, but he kind of alluded to, hey, we might, uh, you know, test out that theory this week. So, uh, curious to see if he does that and see what the result will be. But the good news is, is that as difficult as the first four games of the SEC slate were, the next four games should be a little easier uh, coming in this weekend with Mississippi State, followed by Vanderbilt. And then, of course, you have uh, New Mexico State mixed in there as well as Arkansas and Alabama. So a little bit easier slate, and you know, except uh, right there towards the end as Alabama has found a way to get back into the SEC Western Division race. But uh, you kind of, you know, have a little bit of optimism there when you think of Auburn football and then trying to end the season on a positive note and possibly get to that six, seven win threshold and get to a bowl game in Hugh Freeze's first season. Yeah, I think a lot of people, if you said Auburn was three and four, they lost to those teams, you could possibly, yeah, I can get that. First-year head coach with Hugh Freeze, got to rebuild the roster. Obviously, the talent gap, and Hugh Freeze talked about it a lot. But I think, and and you can give me your thoughts, too, I think a big part of the contention with Auburn fans is just the passing game. We all thought Hugh Freeze coming in, Auburn would have a, a, a passing game. Uh didn't think it'd be at a level where they're throwing 300 yards a game. We knew the receiver position needed development and needed more help. And quarterback was average, not great, but still, we thought Auburn would have a better passing game. But th- this part of it is just—it's been a struggle. And I, and even the part where he bringing Holden Garner in there for the double pass. My thing on that Taylor was, if you think he's good enough to throw that pass, why isn't he out there just you know regularly taking snaps at quarterback? So it's just. I think that's like the biggest thing right now with Auburn. It's just how can he get this passing game going? And I don't think it's fully on the quarterbacks either. I think the receivers aren't helping at all either. But it's just, you know, it's kind of puzzling. You figured it would be better under Hugh Freeze. Yeah, and listening to his press conference today too, I think he's kind of kind of confused as well because it's, you know, hasn't been, you know, 1,000% the best. Of course, you think of the, you know, games with uh, Chad Kelly and Bo Wallace and all that and uh, those, you know, tons and tons of NFL receivers that he's put out there. You know, you think of A.J. Brown, of course, having a great game for the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night and D.K. Metcalf and uh, all those great guys that he had. Auburn doesn't have those yet, but you look at, one, he doesn't have that one quarterback that he fully trusts in that situation. Uh, we've even seen, you know, Robbie, you know, running the football, he looks pretty good, but there are times where he throws a pass. You're thinking, okay, well, that's why he's not the starter. And then you look at Peyton Thorne, and you kind of say the same thing, where he can take off running. I think he's a better runner than I thought we were, but unfortunately I think you have two quarterbacks right now that are run-oriented. That's where their strong suits are. And, of course, Hugh Freeze is a passing guy. You know, we've seen that every stop that he's been at. And so he's a little confused right now. He, you know, trotted out a different rotation of receivers. We saw Caleb Burton out there instead of uh, Hollywood Hooks and Nick Bardner and all those tall guys. You know, he's sending out Jay Fair, of course. Jay Fair's, you know, been the consistent guy throughout. Um, But, you know, trotting out new receivers, 
putting in Robbie Ashford in situations that aren't in the red zone. I, and he even mentioned a little bit of this, too, about the play calling. He said that Philip Montgomery is still going to be our guy, but I approve all the game plans, and if I need to take over, I will. So I think it's just trying to find what works, and it's taking him a lot longer than he would like, of course. He'll be the first one to tell you. And second of all, it's taking a lot longer for Auburn fans to kind of figure that out as well, too. So he's just kind of flabbergasted at this moment. I feel like that'll change over the next couple of years. Uh, he may try to go in and get another quarterback in the portal. And, of course, you have uh, Walker White coming in, too. He'll be, you know, have a couple of years to get ready, a couple other receivers that will come in as well. So I think this is just, you know, more on him right now is it's not as easy as he thought that it would be. Or actually, I think that back, he knew that it was going to be difficult, but I don't know if he knew that it would be this difficult. And props to him for still trying to find ways of trying to make it work. You know, we tried this, we tried that, it's not working. We like this instead of this. So it may take a little bit longer, but I think coming in at this time uh, with this part of the schedule, too, with Mississippi State coming in and Arkansas coming in, we saw how great of a game those two played over uh, the weekend in Fayetteville. So I think over the next two or three weeks, uh, things will slowly start to come together. And, hey, who knows, we may see a completely different team uh, when the guys from Tuscaloosa roll in in November. Yeah, that's true. You know, defensively, it was another case Saturday night. Look, the only time I really think Auburn did not play good on defense this season was against LSU. But who has played good defense against LSU? LSU was going up and down the field against everybody. I mean, heck, um, even Ole Miss, you know, they uh, they allowed a lot of points to LSU and they won the ball game. So, yeah, you're exactly right there. Not a lot of teams have had defensive success against those boys. I think the only team that can beat the all, all, stop the Ole Miss offense is the Ole Miss offense at this point. Uh, but, you know, early on, Ole Miss was had success. The tempo was giving Auburn trouble. There was a couple third downs where Auburn did off the field. But when you look at it from the stats from Saturday night, um, Ole Miss was 2 of 11 on third down. And they were 2 of 4 on fourth down, which we know Lane Kiffin's going to do that. But uh, the run game, I think it did get a hold of Auburn there in the fourth quarter. I mean, it it wasn't 21 to 14 until right there at the end of the third quarter. So Auburn's right there in it. It did kind of feel like when it went 28, 14, that kind of really took a lot of air out of the stadium, but Auburn's defense, they did what they had to do. They kept Auburn in it. And it kind of goes back to the offense. If Auburn just had average offense Saturday night, they probably win. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, I feel like that's been the case for the last several years. I can remember times in the Gus Malzahn offense, you know, same situation where, Gus Malzahn comes in and he's, you know, this offensive guru, which we, of course, saw that in 2010. And we saw that uh, with his Arkansas team uh, in 06, 07, whichever year it was. But it ended up being the defense that was a strong suit, the Kevin Steele defense that was really keeping Auburn in games and the offense just could not execute. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've been surprised with uh, the level of play, especially with Marcus Harris. That was one guy I was talking with the, our other riders before the game. And I said, Marcus Harris is going to be the guy that's going to disrupt Jackson Dart. He's going to disrupt uh, Ulysses, and he's going to disrupt uh, Quinshawn Judkins as well. That's going to be the guy on the defensive front. And if he pushes him back out, then, of course, you've got Jalen McLeod. He had a couple of really big hits in that game, too. Uh, Jalen Simpson, not as much of a factor as we uh, have seen him before. But, you know, the defensive backs, uh, Nehemiah Pritchett coming in, having a really good game Uh Zion Puckett getting an interception, Donovan Kaufman kind of getting back into it, known more for his pass rushing ability, but he came in, got an interception as well, and got into the backfield as well. So the defense has plenty of uh, 
plenty of talented players that will help them get there. But if they can ever get the quarterback wide receiver situation figured out, um, even Jarquez Hunter, he had he had the best game of the season, but it was still not where you expect Jarquez Hunter to be. I think he was still held to uh, under 100 yards, I think right at 90, 91 yards, I believe. So even he's not performing to the level that Auburn fans expect him to. But, I mean, I, I agree with you there. You have an average outing. You have Peyton Thorne throwing for maybe 150, 160 yards. Then Auburn may win that ball game or possibly even lose by as less of a field goal. So the defense is doing their job, but when they have to do the entire thing, uh, you know, things tend to get a little slippery out there. Yeah, I just feel a lot this team just defensively doesn't have the depth right now to kind of go wire to wire defensively like that. You know, they're going to wear down, and we saw it in the fourth quarter. Uh, we constantly have to be back there on the field. You know, and then looking at what they got next, got Mississippi State this Saturday, 2.30 game. Um, Mississippi State, I, I, I watched the game against Arkansas. Taylor, that was a hard watch. Uh, they did win 7-3. to three. You got to feel like good, though, if you're Auburn. You're going to be at home again. If they don't have Will Rogers once again, you got to feel good about Auburn's chances. You feel like can they, they put up enough offense. I feel like you win this game. You get the 4 4 and you go to Vandy. You should beat Vanderbilt. That's five. And then you got New Mexico State. And that's six wins. And who knows what the state of Arkansas is going to be at. They just fired Danny Enos, their offense coordinator. So you look at that. I see six wins here, especially if you beat Mississippi State on Saturday. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it working out to, um, you know, Mississippi State. Uh, a lot of people a lot of people wanted Mike Wright as the quarterback over Will Rogers. And I'm like, how in the world, you know, with the, as great of a passer as Will Rogers is, how do you even say something like that? I think we saw that uh, against Arkansas uh, the other day. A lot of people were calling for uh, former Auburn linebacker and former Auburn coach Travis Williams just to go ahead and overtake the uh, Arkansas program because of how great his defense played as opposed to what Arkansas's offense did. And, you know, looking at some of the numbers, I mean, Auburn fans, you know, tend to look at how, you know, rough the season has been offensively. And I agree, you know, we just talked about that, some of the gripes that you and I both have. Uh, with the Auburn offense, but Arkansas is that much worse. You have Auburn coming in at number 13, I believe, with 337, I believe, is their average. Arkansas has just over 300 yards that they average an entire week, and that's unacceptable when you have K.J. Jefferson as your quarterback. Mm -hmm. No, Rocket Sanders has, you know, kind of been in and out of the lineup. He's been out more than he's been in, but when you have those two guys and uh, the receivers that he has to choose from, that's just unacceptable. And, you know, who knows what uh, Kenny Guyton's going to do as the offensive coordinator at Arkansas uh, to round out the year. But you have to think that if something doesn't get, you know, if they don't turn things around immediately, then Auburn's going to have a pretty good shot. And they're going to feel really good going in uh, with possibly a two-game winning streak uh, as they take on uh, Mississippi State and uh, Vanderbilt over the next two weeks and things should be working out with that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I possibly see a seven and five uh, season coming in. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I think the Arkansas game is really going to hinge on what their morale is like with it there, you know, go ahead and packing it in and let's go watch Muss and the boys uh, basketball. You know, we're, you know, I, I see Auburn going seven and five may not be the prettiest seven and five that we've seen, but Hey, uh, you know, taking a look at where Auburn was last year, even you know, at the beginning of, or really the Mississippi State game two years ago, where they blew that twenty-eight to three lead or whatever mm -hmm. it was, and 
Uh, that's kind of where the turn started. If you look at where they were at two years ago and Auburn getting a seven and five, knowing the struggles that they had and knowing the players on the roster that Hugh Freeze doesn't have yet. I think at the end of the day, uh, everyone's going to be a little excited about that. And I know I would be uh, going in at seven and five, but hey, you know, six and six, that's a huge step up from where they were a year ago too. So uh, if they can limp through to that and get a bowl, uh, bowl eligibility, uh, bowl bid, then, uh, yeah, I think you got to be happy about that. And, of course, the recruiting class coming in, uh, if Freeze can find a way to have a, another great transfer portal haul as he did in the short time that he had from when he was hired in November to spring practice, you got to feel pretty good about where Auburn is. Uh, Recruiting-wise, the high school kids that came in last week are pretty excited about what's going on. If you can just find a way to keep them sold on Auburn, then things are going to look really good over the next two or three years. Yeah, most definitely. So I think right now you see three and four. If you're an Auburn fan, you say, oh, wow, if the season's not going away. But like I said, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt next two weeks, you win those, you're five and four. You got New Mexico State, and then, like we said, Arkansas. So seven and five, seven wins are still a possibility with this team, which is where I kind of think where a lot of people was kind of looking at for this season anyways. But, uh, Taylor, it's been fun talking all things Auburn football with you. I'm sure we'll do this a few more times throughout the season. Hey, basketball is about to get started up in a few weeks as well, so we'll have that to chat about too as well. But uh, if the listeners or viewers want to check you out, where can they find you? You can check out all of our work at auburnwire.usatoday.com. Uh, today we, of course, uh, talked about what Hugh, Con- Hugh Free said at his press conference. Uh, we took a look at what ESPN is saying about Auburn's uh, projected finish. They're expecting Auburn to win three of the next four games that they play, which is pretty optimist, a pretty optimistic feeling for Auburn fans uh, over the next couple of weeks. Of course, we'll dive into Mississippi State, several of the players you need to watch, several things that Zach Arnett is saying going in uh, to the week, um, a little series history, and every, everything that you can think of Auburn-Mississippi State coverage-wise. Uh, our team is going to be putting all that together at auburnwire.usatoday.com. If you're on social media, of course, on Facebook, search The Auburn Wire. And on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at, uh, at The Auburn Wire. Uh, so be sure to check us out and uh, get your Auburn-Mississippi State fix this week. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting uh, week uh, with that coming up. And uh, everybody go check out the Auburn Wire for all the latest coverage of the Auburn Tigers. And uh, Taylor, once again, I appreciate the time and I look forward to doing this again sometime down the road. Hey, as always, it was a blast. Philip, thanks for having me on. And we look forward to talking with you again down the road. Thank you for checking out this episode of Wiregrass Daily News Sports. You can find the podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you just leave four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can follow me on social media over at pjordansec. You can email me at sportstalkfieldjordan at gmail.com. Everybody next up here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. Uh, as everybody saw, my thing just fall off in the background. It's okay. <laughs> uh, you'll see part of my window here on the feed, on the on the video here. But anyways, I am joined by Blake Lovell from Southeastern 14. Also check out his NFL podcast, Established the Pass. We're going to talk some SEC basketball, predominantly Alabama and Auburn. Uh, but uh, Blake, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. No, I always enjoy it, uh, Philip. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe college basketball season is almost here, but here we are, two weeks away. So, 
Yeah, I know. I was watching uh, football on the SEC Network, and then I started seeing the advertisement at the bottom. SEC <laughs> Media Days, all oh, 18th and 19th of October. I said, all right, it's coming. It's here, uh, which I know is the 6th and the 7th of November when everybody kind of gets going. But uh, SEC Media Days was was last week. I thought no better time to have you on. And just They've got Tennessee winning the conference. Uh, anything uh, stick out to you uh, where uh, everybody kind of found everybody? Yeah, I mean – I'm not surprised by the Tennessee pick because I think that's who I would pick to win the conference right now. I just think that overall, especially if they get Zakai Ziegler back, you know, don't know what that time frame looks like. But if he plays this season, you know, that gives you an all SEC guard and to add to a pretty good team already that's pretty deep and defense, we know what to expect. I think they'll be better offensively. So, I mean, I thought that was pretty, you know, understandable to have Tennessee there. Not really surprised, I guess, much else in terms of. The order, because again, there's a lot of similarities. I think, you know, for me, Alabama and Auburn, I could see them sandwiched together. I know they were picked fifth and sixth. I don't know if I could see them at, you know, I could see them at three and four, four and five, five and six, you know. So I, I'm not shocked by that. I think those are two teams that, I mean, I've said going into it, I, I think both teams have questions, but I think they're still both capable of winning the league if they answer some of those questions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, as you know, and we've talked about over the years, it's just kind of, one of those things where you look at kind of the way this league is structured now, you know, kind of had the real big influx of new coaches last year. Saw some of those guys come in and have success right away, specifically Dennis Gates at Missouri. Um, it's just hard to kind of keep your spot, you know, and not be a team that falls backward uh, significantly. But I don't think Alabama and Auburn are going to be in that spot given uh, their two coaches. So, yeah, it, it was just kind of interesting going into I got I'll start with Alabama and just, you know, they, ranked 24th too in the AP poll too as well, NATOs. And I just want to ask you too, you, know, you look at Alabama and they've had a lot of success, NATOs. And you look at last year, 31 wins, the most in school history, a number one seat, SEC regular season and tournament titles. But obviously the up-tempo, the, the three-point bride style of play Alabama likes to play. Is that conducive to winning in March, you think? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where – it's just a matter of who you're you're playing and I think your opponent's style, right? Because there are some teams that you can really overwhelm with that type of style. And we've seen that so many times now under Nate Oates. I mean, we've just seen examples where they just go off and they just blow teams out um, for no reason other than they push the tempo, they're making shots. Other teams just can't keep up. They can't slow them down. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is one where you see that. But then, of course, you know, you are going to, see different examples where, you know, you look at a, I mean, you can really take last year for an example, right? I mean, if you just kind of look at the way the San Diego state game played out, um, you know, now that was a team obviously that wound up going on a great run and, um, you know, getting as far as they did to the national championship, a great defensive team that does, you know, kind of dictate the tempo and, um, you know, possession type stuff where they just really grind you out. Sure. That could always be one that I think you look at and say, okay, if we're looking for, a team that could, you know, make a struggle. And obviously that was a great perimeter defensive team. Um, what were they holding opponents to like 20, 28, 29% from three. So it just, yeah, you, you have that prototype, I think, of a team that can counter that type of style. But, I mean, as we've seen, like I said, I think it's just they know what they are recruiting to in terms of style. They get guys in there that can play that style, understanding that you've got to have the right players to do it. Um and, yeah, I mean, they're making it work for them, right, more often than not, especially 
you know, look at winning league titles two of the past three years. And, you know, the only one where it they they didn't have that kind of success was the team that, quite frankly, didn't shoot the ball as well and didn't play defense. And so, um, you know, so, so I think the style works against a lot of teams. But as always, as with any style, I think there's always that Achilles heel that's out there just kind of waiting to to pick you apart the way that, you know, a couple teams did to them last year. Yeah, it's like if you can be more slow down ball, but then you run into a team like Alabama, that could also give you trouble. So, you know, it's like it does, you just well, never Physicality know. too, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think you look at – I mean, specifically when I think about like San Diego State, Tennessee, A&M, UConn. Remember they played UConn earlier in the year last year. I mean, that's something too where you get those kind of teams that just sort of turn into just a very physical, push-you-around type style. Um you know, sometimes that can that can be it too. But when you have those guys that can, you know, match up with that, it's okay. So I don't know. You know, you talk about Tennessee and we'll continue Alabama in a second. I'll just say this. I just want sometimes wonder do they just look at the football team and get jealous of let's do that all on basketball court. It's just, you know. I mean, listen, they we talk about teams that have perfected their style and recruit to their style. Tennessee has done just that because we can talk all we want about their offensive issues over the years and inconsistencies, but Defense is always there, and they have figured out exactly how to play it and how they're going to do it, and, hey, it's working. So um, other teams don't like it, that's for sure. No, that's a good thing. They make teams uncomfortable with the way they play. And if you score 50 points on Tennessee, I think you've had a great a great game yeah. uh, against them sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Was it last year against Auburn? They had like a 47, 40. It was, neither team hit 50. I think they had a game that came yeah, the wire like that. That was that 46-43 game. That's um, it. Yeah, it was awful. Uh, I mean, but again, that's when you thought about that game going in, if you could have picked out a handful of games on the schedule and said, what game winds up 46 to 43, I probably would have put that one as a possibility, just given, again, kind of the the offensive issues for those two teams, but also knowing defensively what they could do. So, yeah, I mean, hey, if it works, then always have to be pretty, right? That's it. That's it. All that matters in the day is getting that W. Hey, in, in March, it's survive in advance. It's not look pretty yeah. in advance. It's survive in advance. So that's all that yeah. matters. Of course, Alabama, too, you look at it. I mean, they got a lot of guys replaced from last year. Now, they've dipped into the portal, but obviously you're going to start out with Brandon Miller. And obviously you cannot replace him with one player. But also look at Noah Clowney and then you know Charles Bediaco. I mean, Bediaco was a rim protector. I remember when they played Kentucky. I mean, Oscar Sheway had no answer for him on the inside. It's just when you look at Alabama's front court, of course they bring in Grant Nelson out of the transfer portal. Uh, he come from North Dakota state. I mean, he's voted first team all sec hasn't played in the sec yet. Yeah. Uh, just uh, what's your thoughts on how this team's front court could look? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'd be lying if I said that's not one of the, the questions I have because, um, you know, I think the way I put it is I would look at this team probably maybe not significantly different, but, I would look at this team different if Charles Bediaco was still on the roster. I would say that may be my team I'm picking to win the league right off the bat. But I think, and look, right, we could say that about Miller or Clowney too, but I think Bediaco for this team was the one that they really needed a guy like that um, because I don't I don't know that I see a guy like that on this roster right now. Because, um, again, Grant, Wilson, or Grant Nelson's going to come in and – we know, right? Like, what are what are the things that most excite people about him? It's the offensive side of the floor um, and all the things he can do just in terms of all those things. Now, of course, he also blocks shots, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's six eleven, but I think it's it's gonna be a transition, I feel like, defensively. Offensively may not be as a big of a transition, but defensively, I feel like we always see this with guys who come into the league. Um, you know, that have coming in that are transferring in from, you know, up transfers, basically. Um, there there is a transition to just the physicality of the SEC, like we talked about a minute ago, on ball, you know, defending those kind of things, like when you're guarding I mean, I guess we guarding a Janai Broom, find yourself guarding, uh, you know, Toulouse Smith and and guys like that. Um, it's a transition. And so I think he's going to be fine, though, right? Like you said, he's he's picked first team all SEC. I have no issue with that. Um, you know, Nick Pringle, I think, could have a breakout season. He's obviously going to get a lot more opportunity to do that this year. I think to me, you know, you bring in a Muhammad Waggy for West Virginia. Um, it'll be someone, I think, that'll help them defensively. To me, I think the key guy in the front court is Sharon Stevenson. And I just think you're talking about a guy who reclassified 6'11 freshman, you know, top tier guy who can protect the rim. Um, but, you know, is he Noah Clowney? Is he Charles Bediakov? No. I mean, that's, a, that's placing unfair expectations on what he's going to be able to do right away. So I think you've got a lot of answers in the front court in terms of like if you have specific questions about things. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's probably going to be that guy that does that, or that guy's going to do that. But I think it is sort of a wait-and-see approach for me because it is much different than it was a year ago. I mean, as I said a minute ago, the reason what's the common denominator in the two championship teams that Alabama's had in recent years, it's not been just the elite offense. It's been the defense. It's Mm -hmm. been because they've just been so good defensively. And I've said, I mean, everybody knows that Alabama fans, I know, get on to me, but like, hey – that's the question I have. Can this team be as good defensively? Can they be elite on defense? And that's not just for the front court. That's across the entire board. Um, I don't know. I don't. I can't strongly say yes on that question. Whereas last year, I think I could have easily said that going into the season. So that's the one thing I wonder about. And it it is going to start with the front court, though, in terms of just the rim protection. Yeah, then in the backcourt, of course, they lose, you know, Javon Quinley, he transfers to Memphis, but you bring in Aaron Estrada come from a hostel, a good three-point shooter, which we know that's what they like. 37% three-point shooter, 20 points per game last year. And then Mark Sears there in the backcourt. Um, how, how do you see their backcourt? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like when you start with Sears, you're okay, right? Like you got mm-hmm. somebody who's been in the league now, he's played, you know, score this man he'll drive the defense in the perimeter just because of how many steals he can get um but then you know beyond that right again it's the same thing it's you're you're banking on a lot of guys stepping up and replacing all this production that you lost and i think that they've got options you know whether it is estrada um you know i think just his scoring will be terrific there he'll also be able to defend pretty well i think up transfer all right he's transferring from Hofstra. Um, Latrell Wrightsell, up transfer, transferring from Cal State Fullerton. Um, someone else who I think will, you know, he'll play multiple positions for him. Um, kind of a big phys- or physical type guard. I think that will be really good in the SEC, as we know. Um, you know, Rylan Griffin, someone who I would imagine starts some games for them, just given the experience of, you know, last year and now coming back into the fold on a team like this that is replacing a lot of pieces. You know, Chris Parker, another guy. Um, you know, just keep going. I think that's where, when you look at it from this standpoint, I mean, again, it's it feels like the same thing as the front court, where it's like you're just you're banking on a couple different guys stepping up. By the way, I forgot to mention Sam Walters earlier too, um, mm-hmm. in the front court. Someone else who, obviously, high expectations for him. I guess one of the recent what was it the scrimmage they had 
or something. He was the kind of the, the MVP, I guess. So, yeah. So, I mean, you, you've got a deep roster. It's just you see how this all pans out. And, you know, I don't know. Is this team going to shoot it as well? I don't know um, because it's really going to depend on if some of these guys come in or making shots right away. But they'll get their opportunities. You know, guards are going to get their opportunities in a NATO system. Um, so I'm intrigued to see how the rotation, and that's what I said. I think Alabama is one of those teams minute wise. I have no idea what to predict in terms of what that one through seven rotation looks like. Who gets this many minutes? I know Sears is going to be on the floor. I know Nelson's going to be on the floor. I mean, beyond that, like, I mean, again, if you're just talking about, you have a pretty high expectation of who's going to be doing what, but in terms of the minutes distribution, it could go a lot of different ways with everybody else. I think. Now you brought up uh, being able to shoot the ball. Let's go over to Auburn, which that was something where they were not good at last year, the three-point shooting. I would say they weren't good at it, just there was not consistency, you know, on night in, night out. I think outside of uh, Trey Donaldson, maybe that was the only consistent three-point shooter they had. Uh, but looking at Auburn, and last week at Media Day, Bruce Pearl would not commit on a starting five. He said uh, uh, our top five may not be the best in the SEC, but our next five are just as good, so the depth there. And obviously, you know, Janai Broom, Broom is there, and you got Jalen Williams up front. But uh, just, you know, when you look at this Auburn team, just what sticks out for you with this team coming into the season? Yeah, I mean, look, their front court can compete with anybody. I mean, I think that's pretty clear when you just look at the depth there. When you start with Broom, you know, an SEC player of the year type guy. Um, Jalen Williams, you know, you know, I've always said Jalen Williams is one of the more underrated players in the league, but he's not underrated anymore because – um, you know, he's he's done what he's done now. Um, started what 33 games last year and 20 times, I think he had double figures and points. And so, yeah, he's not underrated at this point. Dylan Cardwell, someone else, you know, he'll block shots. So, just with those three guys right there, like that is a great starting point in terms of your, your front court. And then, you know, you've got a, other guys who are coming in, right? Whether it's a Chad Baker Mazzara, I know he's getting a lot of, you know, high praise, I think, getting into the season. Transfer from Northwest Florida State, um, you know, he'll be able to make shots for him, I think, and guard too. But, you know, yeah, I mean, so if you're looking at, like, who's going to start, I think it's pretty clear Broom and Williams are in there. But I do think it's interesting to think about what what else it looks like because you got options with those four guys specifically in the backcourt, whether it's Katie Johnson, Trey Donaldson, Aiden Holloway, Denver Jones. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this team's going to definitely shoot it better because we know Holloway can shoot it. You know, you got to – how many times have you heard that before the Bruce Pearl team? Here comes a stud freshman coming in who can shoot the ball. That's a good thing to hear. Um, and so, yeah, he can shoot it. I mean, Denver Jones will be just a main on average 20 points a game like he did in Conference USA, but I, I'd be surprised if he's not a double-digit scorer. Um, you know, KD Johnson brings experience, may not bring a lot in terms of just consistent three-point shooting, but that's an option too. And that's where I think it becomes intriguing. Do you see a Janai Broom be able to step out and make threes? Um, you know, maybe not for a game, but can he step out and make one or two? Because we know with uh, any big man, right? You're trying to get to the NBA. Every that's the conversation now. Got to be able to step out and make shots. I think they'll give him a chance to do that this season. Um, you know, Jalen Williams can shoot, so I think yeah, this is a team that should be able to shoot the ball better. Um, but like Bruce Pearl said too, it may be hard to figure out some nights who the top five are going to be on the floor. Uh, but I think one through nine, 10 or whatever. And they got as many options as anybody uh, in terms of just seeing how some of these guys pan out. And, you know, some of these guys can kind of take over and be, you know, the next in line of great Auburn players at that specific position that we've seemingly talked about since Bruce Pearl has been there. So. Yeah. You know, and, and I was thinking about, and actually I was thinking about this last week when he was talking about 
the ten the ten man rotation basically. They're just as good. I mean, can, can they just do hockey substitutions at all for basketball? Yeah. <laughs> just just do that. But Katie Katie Johnson, I feel like he's a player best suited to come off the bench because he's yeah. he he brings a lot of energy. So I feel like he's a guy you bring off the bench, and is maybe if they are don't have the energy with the starting unit that night because he, he that's all he is is energy when he comes off yeah. off onto the floor. And if he comes off the bench like that, I feel like that would be a perfect role for him for this team. Yeah, I just, that's what I was going to say earlier too, like I, I don't know that I see him starting and it's not because he's not capable. I just think like you just said, that's the perfect way to put it. Like I just think he fits a role better than anybody on the roster. Like he fits the first guy off the bench, energy, you know, for down six, for lackluster start. He's the perfect guy to bring in, which is why I think you will probably see some combination, like we said, at Broom and Williams, we know for sure starting. Um you know, I think you're going to see Holloway, Denver Jones get a good crack at things probably from the start. Donaldson, I would be surprised if he's not in the mix again, just given his assist to turnover ratio and all that last year was so good, um, you know, as a, as a point guard. And so, yeah, I, I think that's where Katie Johnson, the experience being the sixth man last year, um, you know, and two defensively, right? It, that That's where he's going to make his mark, isn't it? I mean, he's. He's someone just with the energy and everything. Like we know he can score, but like just the the way he plays, like that gives them something defensively off the bench too. So yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of options in terms of how they rotate, you know, this roster. And yeah, I mean, I think you put Auburn in there with another team where it's like, man, what does that minutes distribution look like on a team like this? Um, all gonna depend on how some of these new guys really fit into the mix. Like I said, whether it's an Aiden Holloway, Chad Baker, Mazzara, guys like that. Yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting uh, season, I think, for Alabama and Auburn. And uh, the SEC overall is going to be fun, as always. I mean, this is going to be a fun, yeah. fun conference. And we'll we'll try to make assumptions during the non-conference, and then we'll get into conference, <laughs> and then we'll find other things out. So it's always a fun ride between November all the way to March. And, uh, Blake, this has been fun, and including uh, uh, my stuff falling in the background if you're watching <laughs> on video. I hope that was not distracting Elizabeth, for anybody. If you can't tell, you hear my voice. My voice has been like out for like three or four days now, and so it's just now coming back. So I know I don't sound the greatest either. So we can we can chalk this up to like the you know technical issues on on both sides. So <laughs> yeah, that couldn't have happened before I hit record. It had to happen as soon as I hit record. <laughs> yes, it's just like it is. But anyways, uh, Blake, but people out there wanted to follow you online, where can they find you and all the work you're doing? Yeah, I always appreciate it, Philip. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, slash X, uh, the Blake Level. Uh, you can find everything there. And, of course, all the SEC stuff we do, Southeastern 14 uh, on YouTube. You can search for that there, of course. Lots of SEC basketball stuff to get you ready for the season. And SEC football uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, I know we'll we'll talk a lot more about other stuff uh, on the uh, the next time around. I know we wanted to get to some more stuff. Both of us had some scheduling things. But, yeah, always a fun conversation, Philip, and uh, always enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. Always fun, Blake. But I uh, appreciate the time, and I look forward to talking again sometime down the road. You got it, my friend. Thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed both of those conversations with Taylor Jones and Blake Lovell. And uh, we'll talk We'll talk to both uh, down the road uh, with some more good stuff. Uh, we have a comment uh, for people listening to the podcast on Tuesday. Uh, we are streaming this on monday night just kind of doing something different with it just see how that works late on monday night after 10 o'clock so don't expect a, a huge audience or anything but we did have a comment i'm gonna throw up on the screen by eddie james 
Good show. So we'll appreciate that. Appreciate the comments. And so we'll see if there's something we do in the future with the show. Just kind of just playing around with it here tonight. And also for the people watching on YouTube or video, whatever, my blackout curtain that's sitting behind me over my blinds did halfway fall off uh, right when I hit record with Blake. So if you're watching, I'm sorry if I was distracted. Uh, anyways, but uh, that's going to do it for, for today's show. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. The reason I had two guests, we're not doing a Wednesday show, so I wanted to double up on the guests on Tuesday. We back on Thursday. We're going to move the Friday show up to Thursday with me and Matt Lowe. So we'll do that. Uh, we record that on Wednesdays, but we'll drop that on Thursday uh, on the show this week. And then also the Jed Kennedy Coaches Show. Listen to it on I6.9 Legend on Thursday night at 8, but Friday morning it will be up here on the podcast feed as well. Hope everybody has a great Tuesday. Uh, remember, you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SEC. Podcast available over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. And remember, you can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. I will be back with you on Thursday along with Matt Lowe. And uh, we'll talk to you then. And um, y'all have a good one. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's Wiregrass Daily News Sports. Make sure to tune back in tomorrow for more of the sports you love in the Wiregrass. Check out the podcast at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Continue the conversation and connect with Philip on social media at PJordanSEC. 